0: I want to turn your Bibles to Colossians, chapter number 3. Colossians, chapter number 3. For the last several weeks, we've been going through the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians has a, a central theme that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us. And the theme is that Christ is preeminent. Christ is to be our only priority. He's to be the only thing that we we focus on and find joy and security and fulfillment. And he's he's not just to be important to us, but he is to be the the only priority in our lives. And, And Paul, he wants us to know and understand That Jesus should be first in our lives because Jesus went first. He came to us for salvation, to purchase our salvation. He came to us when we were enemies. He should be first because He is first. We were created for Him and we were created by Him. And so since He created us for Himself and since He came to us when we were enemies and we were rebels and we weren't even seeking him. Since he did those things and since he is first, then he should be first in our lives. And because of that, he should be first in everything. And that's that's not a truth that's a shock to any of us. As believers, when I say Jesus should be first in your life, none of us are caught off guard by that or I'm not given some new profound truth that God's revealed to me that we don't know deep down in our lives we know that jesus should be first we know that jesus should be our only priority but living that truth out is hard living that truth out in the day-to-day is very difficult it was hard for the believers at Colossae. that's why paul had to write this letter to the church at at the, the church at Colo- of colossians because they were having a trouble putting Christ in his proper place of preeminence and his proper place of, tr- of top priority. And they were having this problem because they were adding different things to their faith. These religious practices of the pagans or the Jewish tradition, they were adding to their faith, so they, they ended up having a Jesus and faith. And we in the 21st century... We have the same problem that the church in the first century did, that Jesus is not in his place of preeminence. And we have the same problem for the same reason. We have a Jesus and faith. Now, we don't have different gods, but we have different priorities. We have our priority of our family and our career and our, our, our health and our wellness and, and uh, the priority of our, of our finances and the priority of all these different things. We, we have these other priorities that we, we invest our time in and our life in and we try to find pleasure and joy and comfort in instead of finding them in the only place we're supposed to find them in Christ. Most of us, if not all of us, we limit the amount of time in our lives that Jesus can have control. Jesus can have all of our church time. Jesus can have all of our devotion time. Jesus can have all of our prayer time. He can have all of our Bible reading time and our Bible study time and our growth group time and our, our, our life group time. He can, he can have all the religious time that we have, but everything else is our time. Everything else we deal with and we take care of. And the thing is, our, our spiritual life, our religious time, if we're really, 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 really good Christians, it takes up about 10% of our time. But the other 90%, that's our time. We take care of that. God doesn't get to touch that. We'll handle it ourselves. In the passage that we're going to look at this morning... Paul's going to instruct us how to put Jesus in his proper place of preeminence in the 90% that we like to hold on to. Now, last week, as we looked at the the, uh, book of Colossians, we saw that the Colossian church, like ourselves, we tend to look at our lives in, in buckets. We have our Jesus bucket, and this is it's, we want it to be a big bucket. We want it to be an important bucket. We want it to be the most important bucket. So we have this Jesus bucket, but inside or for, and besides just a Jesus bucket, we have all these other buckets that we, we use and we have in our life, and we, we try to find joy and fulfillment and security in them. And I should have had this ready, but I didn't, so forgive me. So we have our Jesus bucket, and that's a big bucket. It's an important bucket. It's a vital bucket to us, but we also have our security bucket that we, we try to find our security in, our stability in. We have our joy bucket where we get our happiness. Uh, we have our provision bucket where we try to provide for ourselves and our family. We have our fulfillment bucket where we're feeling like our life is fulfilled and all these other things. And we have these other buckets as well. We have our satisfaction Bucket. We have our protection bucket. We have all these other buckets that we, we use in our life. And we, we have the Jesus bucket. And the Jesus bucket it's the biggest bucket. Uh, as a matter of fact, this bucket is from Chick fil A, so it's a perfect Jesus bucket. This bucket came from God's chicken restaurant, so it's the best chick- good Jesus bucket in the world. It doesn't smell like Chick fil A, though. It doesn't smell like pickles at all, thank- thankfully. But so we have our Jesus bucket. But then we have these other buckets that we tend to, and we, we think we're okay because this is the biggest bucket. We think we're okay because this bucket is the, the most important bucket to us. It's the, the biggest bucket, but as we said last week, most of us, this isn't our Jesus bucket. This is our Jesus bucket, and so it usually gets placed right here, and whatever's we'll put the Jesus bucket. Now, when we have this bucket system, even if this is is our Jesus bucket, even if he's the most important, he's the biggest, he's the one we focus on, the one we put the most into, when we have these other buckets for prosperity and Jesus and all these things, you know, it's not that we forgot about Jesus, but the thing is, Paul's saying Jesus isn't supposed to be One of our buckets, or our biggest bucket, Jesus is the only bucket. All these things that we spend our time filling, so you spend our time living, you know, with our security and our provision and our fulfillment and our joy, we waste all this time trying to fill these buckets up and maintain these buckets. And what Paul is telling us is everything we're looking for, these other buckets, it's found in Christ. So we don't need. Those other buckets. This is the only bucket we're supposed to worry about. This is the only bucket we're supposed to find our security and our fulfillment, and our provision and our protection in. And so it's not that He should be one of many buckets or the biggest bucket in our life, but He's supposed to be the only bucket. Everything we look for in all the other buckets is found in Him. Every relationship, every decision, Everything we face, his bucket, Jesus, should come first in our life. In every area of our life, with every gift that God gives us, our time, our treasure, our talent, Jesus and his kingdom and his will is to be the only thing we worry about. It's to be the only thing we're focused on. Not, well, I'm, I'm worried about that, but I've also got these other things to worry about. No, 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 no. Paul says, "This is the only thing we worry about. In every area, in every relationship, in every situation, this is what we worry about, this is what we take care of, this is what we focus on, and all the other stuff we're looking for is found in him. So as we focus on him and we commit ourselves to him, he gives us everything else we're looking for. He gives us everything else. That we need, and so he begins by in verse number twelve by explaining that we have a new identity. So look at Colossians chapter three, starting in verse number twelve. <clears throat> Bible says, "Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant in Christ." Nope, that's verse four, chapter four. I'm sorry, chapter three, verse twelve. Put on therefore, as the elect of God holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and longsuffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, the word there where he says put on, he says put on therefore, the word, Greek word put on is the Greek word end, end, "endoo." o And it literally means to sink into. It gives the idea of putting on a new pair of clothes. You know, when you you go home in the afternoon after a hard day of work, you take off your work clothes and you put on your comfortable clothes. You know, you put put on your pajamas. You know, I don't care if you get home at four o'clock in the afternoon. You're putting on your PJs because that's what you want to be sitting around in. That's what makes you comfortable. So you put off, you take off the old clothes and you put on these new clothes. And what Paul is saying here is in every relationship that we have in our life, in every situation that we have in our life, we are to put Jesus first and we're to live and we're to love and we're to forgive just like he does. Then look at verse number 17. It says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, look, Paul doesn't say that some of the things we do in word or deed. He says that whatever we do. What it literally means is everything you do, everything you say, and every action you take. That pretty much sums up every part of our life. If you say something or if you do something, do it to the, within, in the name of Jesus. He is, to be, he is to do be priority in everything that we do, in every interaction, not just the spiritual ones, not just the church ones, but in everything we should say, I am doing this, I am saying this in the name of Jesus. Now, most of us, when we pray, we end our prayer with, in the name of Jesus, amen. I say it, we say it here, we'll pray, and in the name of Jesus, amen. But most of us, we don't really understand what it means. Why are we saying that? You know, we don't understand why we say it. It's just something that we say as believers, like, I'm praying for you. It's just a, a Christian phrase. It's, we think of it as like, okay, God, I've spoken to you now. I've told you all my problems. I've told you what I want you to do. Uh, I got to go now. I'll talk to you later. Bye. It's kind of just a way to end your prayer. But that's not the point of why we say when you say in Jesus' name, what you are literally saying is, I am asking for these things according to Jesus' will for his glory and in his power. So we should be able to say that over everything that we do, over every situation that we face. Everything we do should be done according to his will for his glory and in his power. You go to work tomorrow morning, you sit at your desk or you get behind a steering wheel or you get behind a shovel or whatever you do, whatever your job is, you go to work tomorrow and you should work in Jesus's name. You should work according to his will, according for his glory and in his power. You meet a friend for coffee, it should be done in Jesus's name someone tries to merge in front of you in traffic, you should let them do it in Jesus' name for His glory, for His kingdom, and in His will. You get home and speak to your wife and kids, you should do it in Jesus' name. You watch a football game, you should do it in Jesus' name. Well, maybe not that, no. He says in everything you do, Do in Jesus' name. When you're watching football, when you're watching basketball, and when you do that in Jesus' name, you'll root for UVA, obviously. But everything we do, you deal with your kids, you're dealing with your wife, you're dealing with your boss, you're dealing with your employee, you're dealing with your parents, you're dealing with your neighbor, you're helping a friend, you're going to work, you're driving down the road. Everything we do should be done in his will, for his glory, and in his power. Now, I'm not saying that you say in Jesus' name before you do everything. You know, don't go to work and say, all right, boss, I'm starting work today in Jesus' name. I mean, you can, but I'm not, that's not what I'm asking you to do. But that you think of every interaction, of every action you have, of everything you do, that you think, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for Christ. I'm doing this for His kingdom. I'm doing this for His glory. I'm doing this because it's His will. Every interaction, every action is to be done in His name as an offering to Him. You are doing whatever you're doing for Christ. And you're doing it in Christ. In verse 18 of chapter number 3, it's not on the screen, so don't worry about it. But it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it fit in the Lord. Now, guys, we like to stop there, don't we? Let's just say amen and go home. Wives, submit. But that, we'll get to the point of what Paul's saying here. But then continue looking at verse number 19. Husbands, love your wives. And be not bitter against her. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. I hate when April quotes that verse to me. I'll be playing with the kids or picking on them or something, like, don't provoke them to anger. I hate that verse, but it's in the Bible, right? Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in the singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. See, Paul is showing us what it looks like in a series of of just common, typical, everyday relationships to live everything in Jesus' name. Husbands with wives, wives with husbands, children with parents, employees with bosses, bosses with employees. Basically, in every relationship you have in your life, Paul shows us what it looks like to live them in Jesus' name, to live them with him as the only priority. And he points to every interaction, to every relationship that is to be done first and foremost, for Jesus. And here's the thing: it may look like you're doing things for them, but you're actually doing them for Christ. He brings the section to a close in verse number 23, which is on the screen. "And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the Lord ye shall re- that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance." For ye serve the Lord Christ. We don't serve the church. We don't serve men. We don't serve ourselves. We serve Jesus. In every relationship, in every interaction, we are to serve Jesus. God, We are to serve Him in every second of every day, not just at church and not just while doing religious activities. Everything you do, every step you take, every word you utter should be thought first and foremost as an offering to Christ. I am doing this for Him. I am saying this for Him. When that person cuts you off and you're deciding how to respond to them, Remember, you're responding to the Lord. That'll that'll change how we respond, doesn't it? Instead of, you know, I'm going to kill you, it's praise Jesus. God bless you. I'm not speaking to anyone in particular, John. But um, we're supposed to be doing it for for God and to honor him and worship him. When you're hurt by someone and you want to respond, we're to remember we're not responding to someone who hurt us we're responding to Christ. That, that changes how we respond. Because Paul said, if anyone's hurt you, and you've been forgiven by God, then you have the right to just blast them. No, because if someone's hurt you, and you've been forgiven, you're to forgive. Because no matter what they've done to you, it's nothing compared to what we did to him. We're not forgiving them for what they've done wrong. We are offering forgiveness because of what Christ has done for us. You may not think that they deserve your patience or your grace or your forgiveness, but it isn't about them. It's about what Jesus deserves. What you do and how you respond is for him. It's an offering to him. When you're doing your job, look at verse 22. It says, servants obey your master, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now, he's not talking about slaves and masters. He's talking about employees and employers. He says, hey, when your boss is a jerk, when he doesn't appreciate what you're doing, when you're not paid enough, when you're taken advantage of, when, you're, when that, that hateful jerk of a boss is ask you to do something that you're not even, it's not even your job description. You're not paid to do it. Someone else is supposed to do it, but he's making you do it. When you do it, you're not doing it for him. You're doing it for Jesus. You're doing it because of what Christ has done for him for you. When I'm figuring out, look at verse number 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. When I'm figuring out how to respond to April when she's being mean to me again, Cause she's always mean to me and when i'm trying to figure out how to respond to her i don't think y'all believe me i think y'all think i'm lying i'm preaching but it's okay but when she when we have a disagreement maybe i don't agree with what she's done or what she said or how she's treating me and i want to respond to her i'm not responding to this woman that's aggravating me i'm responding to jesus And that changes how I respond. She may not deserve a tender response, but he does. You know, April, she may not feel I deserve another day of patience and love because I've taken her for granted for the thousandth time. Y'all believe that though, don't you? Yeah, y'all believe I'm the jerk. But no matter what she feels that I deserve, Jesus deserves her love jesus deserves her patience and so she when she's responding she needs to remember please she's not responding to her husband being a jerk she's responding to jesus kids your parents aren't perfect i know because i know them they're not perfect but they are your god appointed authority how you obey them How you respect them is how you are to obey and respect Jesus. You respond to your parents first and foremost as a response to him. And that applies to every area of our life. In verse 23 again, he says, And whatsoever you do, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord and not for men how you do your schoolwork, how you perform your job, what you choose to do with your career and how you pursue it, it is all done for Jesus. Not not just the church stuff, not just the spiritual parts, but every single aspect of your life belongs to Christ. The The alternative is to live your life with buckets having all these buckets you have to take care of and worry about and focus on and try to make sure they're all taken care of, when we do that, you're not thinking of Jesus first in the other buckets. You may think of him a little. You may think of Jesus some in your your marriage bucket, but when you're tempted to stray your sin, but you're not putting him first and foremost. Paul says that's wrong because... Christ is first. He went first in salvation, so he should come first in everything. So when we put our life in buckets, the Jesus buckets, becomes, it becomes a, a set of obligations we have to abide by. There are certain things we have to put in our Jesus bucket. Now, we take all this stuff and we have our own buckets, but in the Jesus bucket, we got to put church attendance. we got to put Bible reading We've got to put, you know, giving tithes and offerings. We've got to put doing good. We've got to put all this stuff in the Jesus bucket so we can feel free to take care of all the other buckets. So we're not worried about God smiting us because we're not giving his bucket enough attention. So we have all these obligations we have to perform so we can have freedom. We fill that bucket with these obligations, and if we do enough of those obligations, then God will bless us in all the other buckets. And when you think that away, you begin to ask some pretty dumb questions. Like, how much do I have to go to church to keep God happy? How morally do I have to live so I don't get on his bad side? How much money do I have to give to keep God and the pastor off my back? How much time do I got to put in my, into my devotions so that God doesn't let bad things happen to me? We have to understand that Christ owns it all. We are to do his will as much as in all the other buckets as we try to do the Jesus bucket. So instead of having this one bucket we try to focus on to fill the other buckets, we put everything else in this bucket and say everything is done for him. Everything is done for His kingdom, for His glory, for His honor. My marriage, my fulfillment, my child rearing, my job, my safety, my security. Everything is done for Him, and He will take care of everything I need. Everything is done in Him. Everything is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, first and foremost. And we do that by putting everything in that one bucket. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament that shows a man who epitomized living his life with buckets. And his name was Saul. He was the first king of Israel. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we, we see this story, and Paul, Saul, of course, he was the, the first king of Israel, and he was an impressive guy. When we first meet Saul, he's, he's chosen to be king because he has upstanding moral character, yes, but the main reason he's chosen to be king is he's the tallest guy in the land. It's not the best reason to pick a king, but that's why he got, he got picked a king. He's a big dude. You want a big dude as your king, so as king and it wasn't a surprise to anyone people assumed he would be king and things begin to to start off they start off very very good Paul saw he's got some victories everyone's happy but then we come to first Samuel chapter 15 look at verse number one so Samuel also said unto Saul the Lord sent me to appoint thee to be king over his people over Israel now therefore hearken now unto the voice of the words of the Lord Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Elimelech did to Israel and how he laid wait for him in the way when he came from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have to spare them not and slay both the woman and man, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now the Amalekites, they they have been a kind of a thorn in the flesh of Israel for thousands of years. They've been there, they're one of their enemies since they came out of Egypt. They've constantly been invading, constantly been causing trouble ever since the book of Exodus. As a matter of fact, when Israel has left Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea and they're, they're in the desert, heading to Mount Sinai. They have no army, they have no weapons, they have no defenses. The Amalekites attack them and try to conquer them, and of course, God takes care of them. God provides for them, but they've just been for thousands of years just a constant thorn in the side of Israel. And God has finally said, That's enough. This cruel, violent people will no longer harass my children. The Amalekites are finished. Now, this wasn't a war of revenge for Israel. This was a divine judgment that God has chosen Israel to be the instrument of delivering that judgment. This wasn't a war of conquest. So God says to them, don't take anything of theirs. Don't take any gold, don't take any clothes, don't take any animals. Don't take anything. Destroy Everything, because there should be no spoils of war. Because what God is saying is this war, it's not about you. It's not about what you can get. It's not about what you can achieve. It's about me. So don't touch anything of theirs. Destroy it all. So Saul, he gets his army together. He goes down to the Amalekites and he he does what God says. Kind of. Look at verse number seven. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Helval until until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep of the oxen and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse they, that, that, that they destroyed utterly. So Saul goes down, he defeats the Amalekites, and he, he almost obeys God. He kills everyone but the king. Now in those days, uh, keeping a defeated king in a dungeon was, it was a, a show of force and a show of pride. How It was like mounting a deer on your wall. It was showing everyone how powerful you were, how much you had accomplished. And so he takes the king and he takes the oxen and the sheep and the best of everything and he's bringing it back to Israel. And God speaks to Samuel starting in verse number 10. It says, Then came the word of the Lord to Samuel, saying, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and have not performed my commandments, and it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. So, so Samuel gets up, and Saul is going to build a monument. And Saul, when he, he's going to Gilgal to build a monument, but he's building this monument to himself. And so in his mind, this was all about him. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about what God had done. And then let's keep reading verse number 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He, he hasn't. He's lying here. He's done some of what God said. But he's also deliberately disobeyed God. Verse 14 And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears and the flowing and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Now, Samuel, he gets right down to business. He, He doesn't come to pleasantries. He walks up to Saul. Saul's like, Hey, Samuel, I did what God said. And Samuel says, Oh, really? Then what's with the sheep? What's with the oxen? God told you to destroy everything, so what are these things doing here? If you've obeyed all God has commanded you, then why are there sheep with you? Look at what Saul says in verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Now, who's they? Israel. I didn't do it, Samuel. The people did it. But look at verse number 9 again, but Saul And the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. So Saul was leading this, but when he gets called out, he's like, oh, hey, it wasn't me, man. It was, you know, it's kind of like Adam Lord, the woman you gave me has done this. So he tries to blame it on the people. I didn't make the decision to disobey God. They did. Hey, the people decided to keep the best of. Them. Look what he says again. They have brought from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. I, look, Samuel. I know they took what they shouldn't have taken, but don't worry. They're going to tithe on it. It's okay. They they're going to give what they're supposed to give. They're going to make an offering to God, and so it's okay. Look at verse number sixteen. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said unto me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own eyes, wast thou not made in the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel, and the Lord sent thee into a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? So what Samuel is saying here is, look, God gave you a job to do, so why did you take for yourself what rightfully belongs to God? Look how he responds in verse 20. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea? I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag the king of the Amalekite and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, again, the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Samuel, it's okay, I obeyed most of what God said, but I'm going to title the rest so it's all right. Then verse 22. And Samuel said... Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. This is a chilling statement from God. What Samuel says is, is that what God wants Saul? Sacrifices? Offerings? Is God sitting in heaven so bored and so poor that he needs your, you to offer sheep to him. He doesn't want your sacrifices. He doesn't need your sacrifices. He wants your obedience. He wants you to put him first in everything, not just what you want. Look at verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as in, as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. To God, rebellion is as evil as worshiping the devil. The word stubbornness there literally means to go your own way. What God is saying is to take any part of what belongs to God which is everything and act like it belongs to us is like worshiping the devil. Even if you tithe on it. Even if you do good with it. Even if you come to church weekly. Even if you're a really good person in every other bucket you have. God doesn't want your religion or your moral behavior or your tithes or your offerings. God wants surrender. He deserves to be preeminent. He deserves to be the only priority, first in everything. He wants to be the one that you are obeying. He wants to be the one that you are serving. He wants to be the one that you are living for. He wants to be the one that you are seeking to glorify in every area and every dimension of your life. He wants to be the one that you are serving in every relationship. Look again what he says in verse 17 of Colossians. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Then verse 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. That brings us to our only question of the day. And we're going to close on this. So here's what we're going to look ask us this morning. Is everything in your life surrender to God? Is your child rearing surrender to God? Is your marriage surrender to God? Is your job surrender to God? Are your friendships surrender to God? Are your abilities surrender to God? Are your commitments surrendered to God? Are your finances surrendered to God? Or are we simply giving God what he thinks he wants? We have our bucket. We're focusing on our bucket. But all this other stuff is for us. Is everything, here's the question, is everything in the bucket? Or are you doing it for ourselves? Are we keeping things for ourselves? Here's a real simple question. Are you obeying God or are you simply sacrificing for God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the day you've given us.